and that's what's missing right now. You you put it so beautifully because right now most people, if they think about politics, they think about this is the only way how they can change the world. Yeah. They don't realize that there's so many other millions of different ways how you can bring about liberty for your own life and for others. Mm-hmm. And they just say like, oh, I'm a I'm a spectator in like this stupid game of politics mm-hmm. instead of thinking like, hey, I can take step towards and like create something. I mean. Mm-hmm you have a lot of more impact in what you're doing right now as if you were compared to in the political process. They would mm-hmm. shoot you out because of your principles, right? <laughs> of course. Same with me. Like, we were both not yeah. survive in that context. And having that realization is not something that most parents, give to, unfortunately, give their children. I mean, you're an exception to that, of course. But schools don't give that to yeah. universities neither. So yeah. that is a very important insight. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and Thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start uh, a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money Show is 100% sponsor-based, so all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C dot com. Wolf Von Lahr, welcome to the What Is Money show. Thank you so much for having me, Robert. So good to have you here. Um, we met, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, years ago. Through Bitcoin. I think we did a, a thing on Swan together. Um, maybe for my audience, because this is your first time on the show, you could just give a quick background about yourself, uh, your interests, and your organization. Absolutely. And I think we also met at an investor summit as well, where we talked about like Bitcoin and liberty. Sounds like something I would attend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So hi, my name is Wolf and I'm the CEO of Students for Liberty. And uh, Students for Liberty is an international organization, actually the largest pro-liberty organization on the planet. And what we do is we give young people the tools and resources to become better advocates for liberty. I'm thinking, writing, speaking and organizing. And that has translated just in the last year alone to them organizing 1,950 events with over 215,000 people attending those events. Wow. And I have the privilege to to help the students and to build a movement around them. We have now 90 full-time staff members. And I used to be a student volunteer myself, and it really has changed my life. And giving young people ownership and telling them, like, hey, you can change the world, it has a huge impact on them. Mm. And I think Bitcoin has a lot of similarities and a lot of like parallels to that journey. And um, I'm also excited to say that I think like 20 out of my staff members are getting paid in Bitcoin all wow. the time. And so like I'm out trying to orange pill also like the whole movement of classical liberal students that we have around the world. That's beautiful. 215,000. Yes, sir. That's an incredible number. You've done a great job. You, I think you said you're in across 100 countries. Yes. Um, our student volunteers 
And you can imagine us being basically as the boy and girl scouts for liberty. Yeah. Right. Okay. That, that's how you can like without the drama, right, and yeah. and, uh, and all that stuff. Uh-huh. But that's how you can basically encapsulate like what what we're doing. But we have people in like one of some of the worst countries, right? right? Venezuela. Uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, mm. and even in California, you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Third one is the worst. Uh, okay, yeah, so let's talk about that. Obviously, so Students for Liberty, uh, Bitcoin, one of the greatest tools for human liberty, yes. perhaps the greatest tool ever created. What are you, I know you're doing some things related to community building. Yes, sir. And we were talking offline how maybe the ethos of that community building mirrors the ethos of Bitcoin. So... Could you elaborate on what exactly you're doing uh, with these communities and how it's related to Bitcoin? Absolutely. Bitcoin is a very powerful network. We know that. And Bitcoin is not yet the biggest monetary network on the planet. Mm -hmm. However, how will it become the biggest monetary network on the planet is through building the network, people using it, people talking about it. You are part of that. You're proliferating the ideas while also educating the Bitcoiners much more deeply. And we need to keep this in mind. And I think Bitcoin by itself will not succeed if we are not able to build like sophisticated networks around them. Getting people in politics to understand these ideas, getting journalists to understand these ideas, get lawyers to understand Bitcoin and its principles. And I've been studying Bitcoin for a long, long time. I got my first Bitcoin actually at a, at a seminar about Ludwig von Mises in 2013. Good but it, it didn't really hit me back then. Uh, it takes always quite some time. Mm. However, there's like really good parallels between like what makes Bitcoin unique because it is obviously the best designed money on the planet mm. and also how to build communities. So I think that could be interesting for us mm. to talk more about because your audience um, wants to go out there and make a difference in the world, right? Mm. So I think you have to start off and those are like, I think like seven to eight points where I see the parallels between Bitcoin and how to build an effective network or a movement. Mm. So the first one is that you have to have a vision. Satoshi Nakamoto had a very clear vision. He wanted to have a financial network of peer-to-peer transactions that that does not need any kind of intermediaries and nobody can stop it. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And you cannot build a movement or a network where your vision is like, hey, um, I want to educate municipalities, politicians level, like people on that level on Bitcoin while also trying to create a movement to get like musicians and artists to understand Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? So you have to have a clear vision. That's like one of the first things. And that's so important because that will attract other people. Like Satoshi's vision and how he articulated it so beautiful in, in, in the white paper mm-hmm. attracted so many people because it was clear, it was succinct mm-hmm. and that gets people on board. I think a second step and maybe you can jump into some of those nuances is um, that you want to be scarce, right? Bitcoin is fundamentally scarce. It's the absolute, the only absolute scarce resource on the planet. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. Nothing else is scarce. You can always dig up more gold. You can always create more resources. However, you have, there will always only be 21 million Bitcoin. Yes. And with networks, you have to do the same thing. You cannot create like a successful network with 8 billion people in mind. Mm-hmm. And you have to be selective whom you're letting in. So one American example is, for instance, look at party politics. Everybody who pays their dues are allowed to become part of the party. Mm-hmm. And look what kind of shit show that is if you look at the Libertarian Party, mm-hmm. right? They're letting everyone in and there's like so much infighting. You have naked people running on stage and so forth. <laughs> and it's because you cannot exclude people. It sounds maybe a little bit harsh, but if you want to build something, you want to make sure that you invest into the right people that can represent the ideas well, that are potentially eloquent, um, that have a background and like you do like it's mm-hmm. a little bit of like a polymath and coming from like mathematics and engineering and and uh, computer science and the theory of money and Austin economics mm-hmm. all of these things that you're talking about here shows the richness of this and if you have like just somebody that says like you know enter state uh, invest in bitcoin but has no arguments to defend sure, that sure. that won't help yeah you've got to have I mean, this is related to private property, perhaps, right? The power mm-hmm. to exclude others from control or use over an asset. That's what makes the whole economic system work. But if you're going to create these networks that are beneficial for, I guess, let's say the evolution of, of human thinking or perhaps human civilization itself, that you mm-hmm. you have to be selective with who you let in and who you exclude from that 
hopefully based on merit, right? Not yes. based on any other silly ideologies or politics or or race or religion or whatever. Like it's just the most excellent ideas and the most excellent communicators of those ideas should be the ones that you allow into these networks to influence others. Correct. And they should like have a higher ranking within within your organization and uh, within the hierarchy of it. Mm-hmm. And another example is, for instance, what you're just talking about, like property rights, and then also the nodes. The people that are most influential should be like further on the top. Mm-hmm. However, how do they get there? That is through um, creating like a, a culture around it. Mm-hmm. In the case of Bitcoin, it's of course the code, and then you have the nodes enforcing that code. So there's people that, that buy into the vision, that have an understanding of it, and then go out to enforce it. And so you would have people who are like maybe your group leaders, mm-hmm. or like your the, the person who's in charge of like let's say. Uh, Minnesota, and they're organizing Bitcoin meetups there. And we see this working very well because then people have also ownership over that, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's theirs. Right. They're part of it. Right. And that is so important. And we see this with young people, right? Because they go through the school, then they go to university, go out of their parents' house. And for most of the time, they're just being told what to do. Mm-hmm. However, when they come to us for the first time, it's like, hey, you're like 19 years old, you're 20 years old. Mm. But we trust you that you can organize this 100-person conference wow. and you can maybe fundraise. Some responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe you screw up. Yeah. However, you will learn. Right. right. And then you go for bigger and better things. And now we have people, it's remarkable. We have like 22-year-old students that have been with us for a while that, for instance, coordinate sometimes 50, sometimes 150 other volunteers beneath them. For mm. instance, in the state of Florida, which is very strong for us. And that's remarkable because they're interviewing hundreds of people. Mm-hmm probably thousands of people before they graduate with us and that's real world skills mm. which only not makes a difference on campuses now but in society in the future because they become maybe podcasters or yes. thinkers or right. academics right. or politicians right. and that's a very Hayekian theory yes so this is something that I would recommend all your listeners and, and viewers to check out and you probably have read this, it this is wonderful man I'm sorry go ahead um, the intellectual and socialism written by Hayek that's a very short essay, but he analyzes why socialists have been so successful. And he goes into like how they've been able to march through all of the institutions. And he says, like, okay, you have to educate all of these people, but then you have to focus on getting them into the different parts of society. Mm-hmm. Journalism, academia, business, mm-hmm. podcasting, and art. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's our vision that we're working towards. And some of those principles I see really echoed within Bitcoin. That's wonderful. I haven't read that essay. I would like to, though, because it doesn't blow me away that for instance, wokeism, we're seeing the resurgence of that, and it's just a rebrand of Marxism. And it's it's remarkable how successful it can be, given the lessons of history that we've so obviously um, learned the hard way, to yes. say the least. Um, I've long thought, too, that you know the, the best thing you can do to educate children, really, is to give them the capacity for reading, mm-hmm. right, self-study and an interest in reading. That way they can sort of self-direct their own education. And then to travel with them, so to expose them to many different cultures and many different places. And then really just to get them into entrepreneurship as soon as possible. And if you have those three things, right, The obviously the reading gives you the capacity to teach yourself whatever you need to teach yourself. The travel lowers your ego, lowers your prejudice, like really gets you, um, I don't know, in touch with the nature of the world yes. in a lot of, in its many aspects. Most of the possible situations where you don't have like a frame of reference for. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Always breaking the frame in a new in a new place, forcing yourself to reestablish a new frame of reference all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then entrepreneurship, right? Where you're facing, I don't think you learn any, you can't learn, there's no other way to learn the lessons of entrepreneurship. There's no substitute for it, right? You're not gonna learn it in school, you're not gonna learn it in a desk or in a book even, as useful as those things may be. You learn the most just going into the real world, testing your skills against challenges, getting feedback and becoming better, right? It's this continuous process. And so the earlier I think you can get kids involved in that, the better off they'll be for the rest of their lives. And it sounds like that's something you guys are doing, right? Yes. You're throwing these kids into the mix and giving them a real entrepreneurial challenge and um, educating people on the principles of libertarianism in the process. That's that's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you, and you're getting it, right? Because what I'm excited about when I say, like, oh, we had 215,000 people at our events, right? That That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it means something. People make friendships, uh, maybe come up with projects. 
Um, but how much we are changing people's lives, so people who are not already like classical liberals or pro-liberty, it's hard to tell, right? Mm, sure. What I'm excited about is that this number is a proxy for the efficacy, the learning, the pain, mm -hmm. and the success that people go through when they organize these events. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, look, I have all the degrees in, in the world, right? But I can tell you that the, the, the skills that I'm using day to day is because I was a volunteer of Students for Liberty. And as a young 20-year-old, I raised 50,000 euros to start a whole training program. I created the curriculum. And of course, with many other people that helped me with mm -hmm. this. But I built a team around that. And those things will stick with me forever. And then I realized, holy shit, I can do great things. Mm -hmm. And there's like bigger and better things that I can see for myself, right? And parallel with Bitcoin is, you know, you have the agency over your own money and you can see like, I can do more yes. with myself. I don't have to be dependent on this ever inflationary currency that just will damn me to be like in the rat race. Right. And so that's the ownership again and uh, the proof of work yeah. that you're talking about. Yeah, the, the autonomy, right? That, and there's something about autonomy that you can't be a fully autonomous adult unless you have autonomy over your property, mm -hmm. right? So this experience of being in the inflationary rat race or whatever government oppression situation you're in, like it's it's actually detracting from your autonomy. And there's this beautiful moment. Uh, for me, it came through Bitcoin where I went from being a spectator of history, like a student reading, studying, like how the world worked, how it had been. And at some point in the Bitcoin journey, and I also became a father at this time, so I'm not sure what the line was exactly. But at some point, I went from regarding myself as a spectator of history to regarding myself as a participant in history, which sounds like what you're describing, that you all of a sudden you're like, you raised 50,000 euros, you, you did the thing, and you're like, wow, I can actually do this. I can actually nudge the world a little bit through my efforts, through my actions, through my thinking. And, uh, and that's a really beautiful thing. Like That's a beautiful gift to want to give other people that may look out onto the world and not like what they see. And perhaps they want to change the world, well, these are the tools, right? This, uh, there, there has to be that, that confidence, that autonomy, and that realization that you are an active participant in history rather than just a passive observer. And that's what's missing right now. You, you put it so beautifully, because right now most people, if they think about politics, they think about this is the only way how they can change the world. Yeah. They don't realize that there's so many other millions of different ways how you can bring about liberty for your own life and for others. Mm -hmm. And they just say like, oh, I'm a, I'm a spectator in like this stupid game of politics mm -hmm. instead of thinking like, hey, I can take step towards and like create something. I mean, mm -hmm. you have a lot of more impact in what you're doing right now as if you were compared to in the political process. They would mm -hmm. shoot you out because of your principles, right? <laughs> of Same with me. Like we were both not yeah. survive in that context. And having that realization is not something that most parents give, to, unfortunately, give their children. I mean, you're an exception to that, of course. But schools don't give that to yeah. universities neither. So yeah. that is a very important insight. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, the Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector, and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version because after having read a few of these issues, 
I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. Like, I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. So let's talk about um, these other aspects of Bitcoin and how mm-hmm. they fit into what you're doing. You mentioned proof of work, uh, obviously building something to last. You know, this, this idea this is a great feeling too in Bitcoin as you're, we're working on building something that is beyond our individual lives, right? The analogy some people commonly use is uh, the ancient builders of cathedrals, right? These guys, the guys laying the bricks on the foundation of these cathedrals knew that they would not live to see the thing completed. Yet it was it was participation in that larger process, that larger project that contributed to the beauty of their society or the beauty of their, their place that that was such a meaningful thing. And it seems like there's great meaning to be derived by participating in the process of building Bitcoin, something that is built to last in a way that nothing else is really, and that will contribute to uh, the future flourishing of humanity. How do you incorporate that into your community building um, that you're doing with Students for Liberty? So that's a great question. Bitcoin is really unique in the way that you can think about it and you can say like, hey, I'm in into Bitcoin because I want to hand over some of my Bitcoin or my Satoshis to my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And it's built to last, it's robust, it is resilient, it has been attacked over like many, many years and decades. And, you know, we had the block size wars, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it has prevailed because it tries to do one thing well, which is also like another attribute of Bitcoin. It doesn't try like many other shit coins to try to be like this, that, and the other, and NFTs and unicorns and ICOs and mm-hmm. all kinds of other flashy things and whatever is like the the meme of the day. However, build to last is really crucial because like if you want to build a sustainable movement, yes, you have to pick the right people. Yes, you have to check for proof of work, mm-hmm. right, and see what they're doing. But also you have to think about transitions. Mm-hmm. Because whatever your the nature of your network is, it might not be the case that people will do it for 10 years or 20 years, mm-hmm. much shorter. I mean, uh, volatility, which is also Bitcoin, right, mm-hmm. um, is baked into our business model due to the fact that like after three, four, five years, most students will graduate mm-hmm. and then they're gone. And then maybe like we have built up a really good leader and then that person is gone. Mm-hmm. And so one has to also think about transitions. How are you ensuring that you get like high quality, that you have like a funnel of high quality leaders and that you can give them like more opportunities so that if like one person breaks off, that they can carry on that legacy. Mm -hmm. And that's not always easy to do. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's like another insight. Um, Another point, and on like the the eight point list, and we can maybe repeat it for for the listeners later, is the the rule of experience. Mm -hmm. Because you said like at one point in your life, you realized like you had the experience like, hey, I can make a difference Mm -hmm. and I can take like full responsibility for my life. Similarly with Bitcoin, I would venture to say that most people will not get it until they deal with their own keys, right? For sure. Or for sending sure. for for the first time like a light, lightning transaction yes. with like a wallet. Then you understand that like, yeah. hey, I can send this to you and you're actually living in a completely different country and there's zero transaction costs and you see it's, holy shit, it's And working. I've seen that look on multiple people's faces. Even just doing their first on-chain transaction is like, holy shit. Exactly. This, thing just, this much money just went from there to there and like, it's amazing. And so you have to cultivate experiences around the network that you're building. You have to make it real. You can do a whole lot online. And like my whole staff is like online, right? Like we don't have an office. We got rid of it like way before COVID in 2016. 
However, you cannot replace the experience of meeting someone. Mm -hmm. Same with liberty. You and I, we have a lot of understanding about Austin economics and many other thinkers. We have all of these books. However, if you at some point meet someone from Venezuela that tells you with tears in their eyes that they couldn't get like the medicine for their grandmother and then that person passed much earlier than she needed to be and you're thinking about your grandmother, Liberty gets a totally different quality to you. Yeah. The theory finally comes to life. Right, right, right. And that, that is that is something that, that we have to think about if we're building movements as well, to bring it real to like the different stakeholders you have. Your volunteers, mm-hmm. your group, um, your potential donors, whatever it might be, your audience. Yeah, that's a gr- great way to frame it because it's we can very easily abstract about liberty and these other libertarian principles, but what we're really discussing is the optimal way to alleviate human suffering, yes. right? It's like, and it is, the answer is freedom. It's just leave people, give people strong private property, which is really just to say to have justice, right? Mm-hmm. If justice is people getting what they deserve and private property is people keeping what they earn, you're just implementing justice into society, this basic principle of everyone keeping what they earn, and then you're leaving people free to self-organize. That's, it's really as simple as that. Not easy at all, no, as human history no. proves, but it is as simple as that, that creates the most wealth, creates the most capacity for humans to innovate and solve problems, and therefore creates uh, the most alleviation of human suffering in the long run. And it's something about teaching humans to get out of our own way, right? To not try and pursue our own egoic desires at the expense of that grand enterprise of just having soundly implemented justice in society. You really give me an interesting idea right now because you're absolutely right. The total human suffering will be alleviated. And the data is very clear. I mean, we're hearing like doom and gloom all the time mm-hmm. about like how the world is going to the hell in a handbasket. We know that, right? And that's what the media is focusing on. However, longevity generally is going up. More people have access to clean drinking water. More people have access to education, internet, Bitcoin, all these good things. And we don't talk about that. However, you phrase it in an interesting way. You said it's about alleviating human suffering, and you're right. However, the irony is why most people looking for government and for centralized control is because right. they want to avoid suffering. Right. They think like if you don't provide like healthcare or education, people will just suffer and die on the streets. Right. And freedom is actually also pretty uncomfortable. You said yes. about the importance about like children like traveling or having different experiences not only children but people generally having different experiences education um, entrepreneurship but that comes with a lot of suffering you will fail a lot and that is scary for most people so it's like the suffering aspect is like a double-edged sword that that we you didn't say that but we should not say like hey it will be like a very easy way to live but it's like the true and the better way we should separate like adversity from suffering perhaps good point the adversity is it's part of adventure right it's not an adventure until something goes wrong that's how we learn we adapt to painful experiences but the needless suffering of grandma not getting her medicine right like when the medicine has been invented it's been invented for hundreds of years it can be shipped anywhere in the world but due to some malfunctioning in the economic or political system she didn't get the medicine like that's pointless needless human suffering that could be avoided under conditions of liberty frankly so yeah it just seems it it seems really important to keep fighting for these ideals because they are although they might be ideals maybe maybe it is unattainable right a purely just society maybe it is in fact unattainable but the striving towards that ideal is what manifests the best possible human civilization. And this is, I mean, this is where the education matters so much, right? It's so these kids don't get co-opted by socialist ideals that corrode and destroy society rather than build it up. 100%. And it's it's hard to convey that really to like a lot of young people because they have been indoctrinated so much and they have been told often and of course we're making broad generalizations here right sure. but like they've been told often that that you know um you cannot su- you cannot succeed in life you have to just find your way and like i think if you see the specific yachts in europe if you ask people like most people want to work for government instead of right. like going into the entrepreneurial journey and then we have to ask ourselves like what are we doing wrong in articulating what beauty lies in some of that ad- adversity mm-hmm. yeah and uh, that is really a struggle to, to communicate for sure. But I think there is a lot of wisdom and beauty there to communicate like, hey, we are aiming towards a society that is not going to be utopia as a socialist promise. 
However, we are going to set up the system that generally rewards good behavior and generally is punishing bad behavior. And that's all what like free markets and classical liberal trial and error spontaneous order are about. And most people don't understand that and we we really need to dig dig into that. Um, And then the last point that I want to make regarding the parallels between Bitcoin and building networks. And I'm not saying saying networks also deliberately. Maybe I should clarify that. Because a network for me is something that is intentional. It focuses on like a specific outcome, mm-hmm. right? A community in itself can just like get together and drink beer and eat pizza and have a good time. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that and you need to right. have that, but like a network is more intentional. As a mission. Exactly. Yeah. And so that goes to the decentralization part as well because Bitcoin is so strong because it's decentralized. No single government can try to like undermine it. Mm-hmm. It's been attacked all the time. China has forbidden it. Mm-hmm. And even though there was like, what was it, like close to 50% of the hashing power was there, didn't matter. Still 20% coming out of China today. TikTok baby. Yeah, you TikTok know? nice walk. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just continues. And so you want to make sure that, yes, there needs to be some sort of rules, right? Like Bitcoin core has mm-hmm. rules. However, you don't want to be like that fragile that you have like everything depending on like one leader. So you need to be decentralized. So if like that person is taken off or like hit by the bus or whatever, that you can still replace like other parts of the system and that the ideas, the vision, that the system can live on as well. So there's a fine, I would say like a walk on the tightrope mm-hmm. between you have to have certain hierarchies and your certain sort of standards on yes. the top, but they need to be like minimal, but you want to make sure that that empowers people on the ground. And that's like bottom up. Yes, yes. But you need to have both. And I say, I think like sometimes libertarians say wrongly like, oh, we should get rid of like all hierarchy and so forth. Um, And they're mistaken that anarchy by definition doesn't mean um, a system without rules. That's right. It's a system without rulers. I say that all the time. Okay. I'm glad you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's about like having those rules and then we can live peacefully within those because we adhere to them. Yes. And that when they're consensually adopted Mm -hmm. rather than imposed or enforced, that's a fundamentally different relationship to rules and and the games that they engender. in hierarchy, you know, the point, there's a point there. There's a great book, The Physics of Life, actually. Physics of Life? And it argues that th- for the same reasons a river basin fans out in kind of that stereotypical pattern, right? It's it's max, it's a physical structure that maximizes the throughput of the river as it goes into the ocean. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason we construct human hierarchies. It causes the constructural law. And it's basically saying if we're you know, the, the Yuval Harari thesis that we cooperate flexibly in large numbers. We're talking about this a little bit offline. We have to put ourselves into hierarchies. There has to be a highest principle that we're orienting ourselves beneath. And then because we're human, well, we have to have the, um, the individual embodying that principle, which is ideally the leader, right? The CEO or the sovereign king or whatever it may be. And then they are representing that principle to everyone else in the organization. Now that's great. The problem occurs if if that becomes coercive, right? If someone's forcing you to embody this principle or enforcing you to stay inside the hierarchy versus having this um, universal consent where people can move from hierarchy to hierarchy. So I don't think you ever get rid of human hierarchies. I think that's just, that's silly. Like how, how would we organize ourselves flexibly in large numbers without them? But you can optimize... Uh, how human hierarchies are allocated or self-organized, let's say, just by universalizing consent yes. and minimizing coercion. So Yeah, that, that brings it down, like, what is the purpose of the hierarchy? Is it enforcing uniformity and um, just everybody adhering to the same rules? Maybe some institutions need that. If you yeah. think about, like, the military police, if you think that that cannot be privately produced, that's a different debate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that needs to be like that. However, generally, in a specifically in a marketplace, nonprofit space, your space, doesn't matter, you need to focus on building hierarchies that are empowering the individuals within it. Of course. Yeah. Like, it's a division of labor. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, I would not be able to tell somebody in Zimbabwe to hog- organize, like, an event. Yes. Well, I don't have the local knowledge to do the same thing exactly. in Mississippi. And, like... I'm older now, right? Like, I don't even know like, what the kids are worried about all day, every day. And that really differs from all of right. these different countries. So you need to empower, like, the different nodes in the system so they can be 
also leaders in their own right. And that gets to another Hayek essay, which is the use of knowledge in society. Precisely. That we all have knowledge particular to our time and place that we have to act on. You can't pass it up a bureaucratic chain and have it come back down. It's It would have lost relevance and uh, usefulness by that time. And yeah, you can't, like, it. I think it's a division of labor because you, you unify the hierarchy beneath one mission and then people are providing complementary services to one another such that you can approach that mission or, or attempt to fulfill that mission in a more efficient way, a more economic way. Like, we could not be doing this right here if we didn't have Jeremy over here helping me put all this together and my assistant Teresa, you know, it's like we have our own little hierarchy and that's what makes this show work. How could we do that without a hierarchy? I can't even imagine. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. So. Yeah, and I, I like that you evoked that that article that everybody should read because the beauty of also of that article is that this was as a response to him winning the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, the Nobel, uh, not Peace Prize, that doesn't mean anything, right. the, the, the Nobel Prize in economics. And he called the prize system like a miracle in that yes. in that article. And I don't think they have ever heard that word, but it's it's really true because like it helps us coordinate with so many people in like a in a peaceful fashion. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the pie system doesn't work perfectly if you have to do it like, if you have to create some sort of like bureaucracy or some sort of organization, but you can always try to replicate it with, with yeah. numbers and, and trying to measure the output of like what your organization does. And I'm sure you're doing this with your podcast. You have all kinds of metrics that you're looking at yeah. and you have some bottom lines that you're looking at and you're trying to like really um, be very adjacent to a price system in that regard. And of course, it'd be super difficult in government. It's very difficult also in nonprofits, and then in markets it's like relatively easier. Yes, yeah, you're getting more feedback from what's working and what's not versus, um, yeah, when you have less feedback, you're less adaptable essentially. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use, all of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin, and for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code breedlove so if we pull all that together you've talked about this beautiful structure mm -hmm. like so what i guess what is the vision for these communities you're creating communities that then sort of mirror the ethos of bitcoin and then what what is the mission or the vision you're orienting these beneath is this um promulgating libertarian ideals plus orange pilling people like what what's the the mix here of, of of what you're trying to lead people towards i'm not sure i should put it this way but uh -huh. i am trying to build a global real conspiracy of change makers that yeah. take in all of the different realms actions towards liberty let's make it more tangible i want 10 years from now to have like a few dozens like libertarian caucuses where people identify with students or come from students for liberty that now work together. Mm. I want, maybe it takes more than 10 years, but like let's say 30 years from now, I want to go to the editorial rooms of the New York freaking Times mm -hmm. and our people are sitting in there mm -hmm. and writing. Mm -hmm. I want that you're going to have like a libertarian divorce where our people are organizing that and you have like networks between 
business people and so forth. And it's already working now, Robert, mm. because we are around for 15 years now. But it started only with like a bunch of students coming together. But now, I'll give you just like a recent example. We have one of our alumni, he has worked as a volunteer for us, then he became um, a staffer, then he worked for McKinsey, and then he became the, if you can imagine this, the director of de-bureaucratization. Mm, that's such a, a thing title. in in Brazil. Wow. He then networked with people he knew from that time, like it was like a million millionaire who actually uh, founded like a crypto exchange. Mm-hmm. They helped one another and they worked with like a bunch of parliamentarians who are also our alumni who are sitting in the parliament now of like wow. a massive country with over, what is it, like 200 million people? Wow. He then wrote like a meta law guiding all of the lawmaking in Brazil for the next years ahead, which is straight Hayekian. We have people wow. like a lot. So it's basically same rules for same businesses, cut red tape, make it easier for business to get started. That translates now to in the next 10 years for 3.7 million jobs and an increase of 0.7% in GDP in Brazil. Wow. You cannot go to Brazil and go to like a conservative libertarian event and you don't find our people at like think tanks, at grassroots organizations, in media, in business, in politics. All of them are friends. They have worked in the trenches as students together and they now work together. Wow. And we only want for 15 years, but like now extrapolate that for the next 15 or 30 years. Yes. I love that. Wow. It's so good. The, The word conspiracy too. Another one of these loaded words, but it actually means to breathe together. Mm-hmm. And so you're creating this conspiracy of change makers around the world, just seeding good ideas into young minds, right? And then turning them loose, I guess, to, to develop entrepreneurial skills and experience. And then they sort of grow into these uh, more advanced and influential roles in the world. And that's what, I mean, that is the decentralized approach to fixing the world. I think that's really beautiful. 100%. And we will not be able to steer it. We don't know how it's going to look like. Um, it's not going to be top down. It's going to yes. be bottom up. But we are cultivating it yeah. and helping bring people together. Um, for instance, we had like a seminar just like two weeks ago in Cartagena uh, where they talked about like economic development in, in many of these countries there. And then they had like a day where you had people working in finance ministries in central banks, actually. Mm. Um, some politicians, wow. some think tank leaders come together and like really try to figure out, okay, can we write like a white paper together? Can we maybe write a policy paper together? Mm. Can we write a book? Or like maybe start like a think tank and so forth. Mm. And it's really working um, because just in the last 15 years, our alumni have founded 1993 nonprofits wow. all across the world. So I think right now two thirds of every center wide like free market, let's say free market think tank in Africa is either founded by or run by our people. That's amazing. And they didn't have any infrastructure before. And they have real impact. One story, if I may. Um, a friend of mine, um, his name is Aymab. He's from Burundi. Burundi has a GDP per capita of $222 or something like that. That's what we're spending on a month in Amazon easily. Right. right? Wow. Wow. And he has been able to start a think tank. And he didn't speak English when he came to our conferences and um, it was an English-speaking conference somewhere else in, in that area. He organized then events for 2,000 people, learned more skills, then started a think tank. And then with the help of a, like other connections that we made for him or with him, he was able to um, issue a law that reduced the filing fee for a new business from $75 to $24. Hmm. Now think about that. Thousands of people can now start businesses and serve their communities and and feed their families. Wow! And you know you cannot imagine like how much change you have. And we also have done things like that here in the United States. But like yeah. those stories are of course a little more impactful. That's that's amazing. It's beautiful. Um, and then what? So what is the the Bitcoin component with? Well, I got, first of all, another question. Your alumnus, I assume that they then become donors at some point to Students for Liberty, and you're creating this flywheel effect as as you're giving people the tools to succeed in the world and they do succeed in the world, they then share some of that success back with Students for Liberty and it's, is it growing that way? Is that, is that one of the paths to expanding this thing? That's one of the paths, but that is, it's, it's a very long-term path. Sure. Because like, if you think about universities, they're very successful at that model, right? Mm-hmm. Raising money for money. Yes, yes, yes. But it takes decades yeah. um, because typically people need to be in their 40s and 50s because if you're in like the right. 20s and 30s, like either you're still a student for liberty or you're building yeah. your career or your family and you yeah. don't really have the bandwidth. Yeah. So it will take us a little bit more time. Of course, we're still getting monthly donations from some folks, sure. but it's in, in regard to our general budget, it's negligible um, gotcha. at this point. But we are 15 years in. 15 years in. Yeah, so yeah. you need a, another couple of decades before that kicks yeah. in. And we're building this up right now. We have over 10,000 alumni that have gone through our programs, meaning they 
were carefully selected mm -hmm. and we're rejecting actually going back to that point we're rejecting two-thirds of the people that apply to our volunteer program wow right wow focusing and again on exclusivity 21 yeah. million bitcoin you know you yeah, don't yeah. want you don't want 20,000 volunteers right now right maybe in the future right if right. you have the systems if you sure but right now it's good that we have like 2,500 to 3,000 and what's the criteria for selection excellent question so we're looking at like roughly three things uh, one is do they understand the ideas of liberty mm -hmm. or have a strong proclivity to learn about them because mm -hmm. as you can imagine we get like in many of these developing countries we are getting people that just want to be part of like international organization want to just get mm -hmm. certificate or like talk about like um, I don't know just a resume builder kind of thing yeah, yeah. things that are not aligned yeah. or like are actually like more progressive in mm -hmm. their ideology mm -hmm. first thing second thing is um, are these people that want to do stuff do they want to get things done like what they want to do um, within the organization and the third and or do they have a track record and the third thing is like like us do, do we kind of have a, like a beer together or yeah, like a coffee right. together yeah which is a very important criterion mm -hmm. because again like i rather have somebody that understands only 30 percent of the ideas but who is like humble mm -hmm. and presents uh, herself well compared to somebody who understands like 100 percent of the ideas has read mises hayek rothbard mm -hmm. yeah. um John Locke, whomever, Adam Smith, but who is an asshole. Yes, right. Because right. that will, while they might make the most rational arguments, rationality is not the only criterion as sure. to how we spread ideas and yes. how we convince people. Yeah, there's. A, I've heard the moldy bread theory. You know, you get the one kind of moldy bread in the group and it can infect the others. Even if they can be great um, cognitively or merit-wise, but if they're not able to get along with others, that can really disrupt the whole network. 100%. Create. Yeah, toxic leadership is another term to, exactly. to describe what you were talking yes. about. And that sometimes happens. And so you need to make sure that you have like ways to also like exclude people or yes. get new people in. So maybe it doesn't have to be even like that drastic that you have somebody who's toxic. Mm -hmm. That might happen and you have to have systems for that. Mm -hmm. But it also might be that you just have somebody um, who has been with the organization for five years and there's not as many good ideas or as much work coming out of it. And you want to make sure that that can be replaced. Sure. However, like in our thinking, we are like innately political and like, yeah. and who you know, and, and yeah, all that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So it's very difficult to, to do that. But like, as we said, adversity and doing difficult things is the only way how we can like, yes. really uh, bring yeah. a better future about. And that's the same with Bitcoin. Yes. Talking about like going through adversity, right? Absolutely. What, um, is Bitcoin part of the curriculum too? And like, and if so, how? So I want to, I want to make Bitcoin much more of a focus of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been talking about it a lot. I've written for Bitcoin Magazine. Um, I've written about like Bitcoin being the single best shot at achieving liberty in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking a lot about it. Mm -hmm. However, because I'm talking about the importance of like bottom up, I cannot just like force all my staff to adhere to the same principles sure. because some of them focusing maybe of other ideas or there's like different needs also of the students. So I'm using soft power right now mm -hmm. and having the pleasure, of course, talking to you. That will help. We will push mm -hmm. it through our channels. Um, I'm giving offers to our staff to be all being paid in Bitcoin. We are thinking about at some point doing the reimbursements for students all through the Lightning Network mm -hmm. and giving uh, people more opportunities. Um, but it's mostly soft power right now. But I'm also trying to raise funds and um, I've been somewhat successful with it. But like if I get like larger grants, then I would be able to create like many more programs about that. Mm. We had like videos about Bitcoin. We also have a YouTube channel um, with 200, I think 85, like 285,000 subscribers. Um, and there's like a bunch of, of uh, stuff about Bitcoin. Um, I'm talking about that. I'm inviting Bitcoiners to our conferences mm. so that they can like orange pill the audience. Yeah. And so there's a bunch of these different things that I'm doing, but I have bigger plans and I'm talking with like some donors about like multi seven digits uh, pro proposals to like really move like this tank of an organization and have more in that direction. But for that, I need like more people that are on the same page as I am, which mm -hmm. I'm doing slowly and, and creating alliances, um, but then also cross resources. That's amazing. Wow. Well, this, I mean, it sounds like a match made in heaven, honestly. This, I mean, libertarianism in general and Bitcoin, right? It's, Bitcoin, I really think we can't have, we'll never get close to those libertarian ideals that have been written about for hundreds of years. You know, the the, the ephemeral free market, right? It's, it's just an ideal, the uninhibited process of free exchange under conditions of private property. Humans have never been able to figure that out all the way, right? Like we've gotten closer, we got close in the US with the constitutional republic, yeah. but obviously you get the central bank, we start to regress away from the ideal. I don't think we'll ever 
Maybe we'll never fully realize the ideal, but I don't think we'll ever get as close as we can without Bitcoin. It just doesn't seem possible to me. Because humans always give in to that temptation to monopolize and print money, which is to violate private property, which is the unwinding of the entire process. So I'm excited to see an organization like yours and Bitcoin sort of coming together um, and hopefully creating some, some very real civilizational advancement, let's say. Well, thank you so much. And I mean, you're a huge part of that as well. And you probably have created more libertarians than many, many of the authors um, that are writing about Bitcoin all day, every day. Because what also the thing that I'm talking to to my donors about is like, typically, like generally, every Bitcoiner is a libertarian. Mm -hmm. Not every libertarian is a Bitcoiner. That's right. So I have a huge network at my disposal, right? I have access to that are skeptical about it. They say like, right. okay, yeah, we like the free market, therefore I like, like cryptocurrencies and competition and stuff. And I'm not going to forbid that, mm -hmm. but like we need to be then showing them like why Bitcoin is the single best shot at achieving liberty yes. in our lifetime. Because I 100% agree with you, if you take away the potential for them to infinitely fund all of the crazy programs, and maybe not so crazy programs, but mostly crazy programs yeah. that are not sustainable and take that away from them, then government needs to shrink. That's right. Yeah, we're reintroducing prudence mm -hmm. into government, right? Where spending money actually means something. You can't just print it out of thin air and fund every every scheme that, that you come up with. So... Um, Adam Smith had a great saying about that um, in The Wealth of Nation. He wrote about like, um, talking about the role of prudence. He says like, what scarcely can be a folly for like a normal household uh -huh. cannot be a folly for like government either. But like that way of thinking is completely out of the door. And yes. I mean, we're just seeing the circus right now with the debt ceiling and we will be there next year at the same yes. time. Yes, all rooted in the money printer, right? Like just take away the counterfeiting of currency as the primary means of funding all this stuff. And then all of a sudden organizations have to deploy resources intelligently, right? With skin in the game where failure matters. All of these things we observe in nature. We just need to incorporate those into our social systems. Yeah, and maybe to to make it like slightly less hard for the audience to think like, okay, like what do I do now? Because we talked about it already. The goal doesn't need to necessarily be to like get the government to like 10% of its size what it's right now, because that seems like an insurmountable task of course bitcoin and working towards that gives one energy but that goes back to finding the energy and the agency in your own life mm -hmm. where you can take leadership mm -hmm. because i think there's also like a very good connection between like government taking all of these responsibilities away from us and us then therefore not having the agency to go out there and bring about liberty mm -hmm. because you can do something smaller in your community that's right and that's the reason i'm thinking talking about like networks and and what you can do in your life is so much more empowering than trying to like top of the U.S. government. Yes, yeah. I, uh, Jordan Peterson telling everyone to just start with cleaning their room. Yeah. You know, it's the little things and then work out from there. Um, Wolf, man, it's great to talk to you. I appreciate you doing this. Appreciate everything you're doing with Students for Liberty. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Well, Robert, thank you so much. And I cannot tell you like how much your show... Uh, means to me as well and that you're asking the question like what is money because that's also really how my whole uh, story began and how I found Austin Economics and Mises and Hayek and all of these great thinkers we've been alluding today yeah, and thank you. thank you you're doing fantastic education work so people can find me on, on Twitter with my name Wolf von La otherwise uh, just check out studentsforliberty.org uh, awesome thank you so much Wolf thank you